When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting. The A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Raw. I'm John Pollock here alongside Wei Ting. On tonight's show, we have Raw to get through. We have another New Japan show. Lots of news. A big week of shows here at Post Wrestling. But first, and most importantly, the start of every week. Wei, how are you doing? Doing great. I'm doing awesome. Just great. Very consistent. Very consistent. Yeah. You're always good. You're always great. Especially today. Yeah, I'm awesome. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm doing fairly good. Okay. Cool. Yeah. It's all right. I I think I hit a seven today. Okay. Seven. That's pretty good. That's good. I'll take it. What's your average? I, I'm a, I'm a seven guy. I mean, sometimes higher, odd time lower. I would say you're pretty, you're a pretty happy person overall. Yes. That's I think great. when you, when you are very, uh, forthcoming with your level that inherently raises your level i kind of feel like if you're a 10 all the time there's something <laughs> yeah, wrong you, you could be you you could be yeah it's a problem like that's not a 10 that's a consistent base that you're just you believe it's a 10 but really you're living a six not aware of the upper levels that you haven't even dreamed of i feel like if you're a 10 all the time there's some level of perhaps lying to yourself you know even if a day is bad oh i had it oh of course it was a good day oh it was great to me, I, I I feel like it's a little dishonest, but if that's how you choose to live, then that's that's fine too. Exactly, absolutely. Don't don't be turned off by the sixes. Yeah, the sixes make the tens more enjoyable. I think so. Absolutely. All right, we have lots to discuss on tonight's show. Uh, did you get up to anything uh, wild and crazy this weekend, Mister Tang? Um, I don't remember. The weekend goes by very quickly, I find. I know, I, Monday night, it's, uh, it's out of my mind. And I realize I just have a really bad memory, uh, so especially short-term. Every time you ask me, what's, what, what have I done this weekend, uh, I really, you know, I have to think back. I watched Class of Champions. I just remember that. Yeah, that was this weekend. We watched that. Everyone knows how we felt about that show. Yep. So, some people felt I was too hard on that show. I just believe that when a show is not a 10, I'm going to share that it was closer to a 4. Because then when they put out a 10, believe me, I'll say it's a 10, and we'll enjoy it that much more. But if everything's great, nothing's great. And that was not a great show. I don't think you were too hard on it, but um, everybody has their own opinion. Like, whoever... Exactly. Like, the person, the people that think you're too hard on it, I probably think that they were too easy on it. So, everybody's entitled to how they feel. I, I, you say that, and it sounds so rational. But I think people have a real hard time with it. Like, it's somehow my feeling of the show somehow dictates their feeling of the show. No. We just had two totally different experiences. If you thought you watched one of the greatest pay-per-views of all time last night, God bless you. You must have had a great time watching that. My opinion should not have any bearing on that. And you should not worry how I've, I felt about this show. I'm just sharing what I thought about it. That's it. Well, the problem is I think people, you know, when they listen to a show like this or another show or they see some type of published review, 
they they look at it as perhaps either confirmation for how they feel to make sure that their opinions are quote unquote correct, even though I don't think there's a correct opinion when it comes to, you know, how much you enjoyed something. It's like how how much do you like the color red? Oh, you it's not your favorite color? There's oh, no. something wrong with you. No, it's not the case. I think oftentimes, of course, like we're about to talk about with this episode of Raw, there are some things that I think are universally bad. But I would say for the most part, if you happen to enjoy a wrestling match that John did or I did that John didn't, um, I think most of the time it comes from just with, just with a matter of opinion. And I would say this about anything, any type of review that anybody, anybody consumes, don't take it so seriously. Take your opinion above anyone else's. Apply this to everything. I think people just argue too much. I'm saying I'm, I'm making this uh, definitive statement right now. And now someone's going to disagree with that. I don't argue. People don't argue that much. You're really making a big deal out of this. There's no issue to make a deal out of this over. <laughs> all right, let's let's really move on for now. I'm, I'm through my rants. I've got them all out. They're all they're all out. I'm now. Uh, I, I've just I've just felt my body elevate to a seven point five. All right. Um, I want to start off by going over uh, this week because we uh, it's a pretty big week here at Post Wrestling, and I want to go through some of the highlights of this week. Uh, Tuesday night, Way and I are back for Rewind a Smackdown. This is, uh, you know, there's a lot of changes coming way, and these Tuesday nights, there's there's only two of them left of you and I getting together to chat about Smackdown on a Tuesday night. What is going to happen? Probably a whole lot of nothing. We should just put up... Because um, these are just like... These are going to be meaningless shows. I don't see them trying that hard to make sure that the ratings are kept up. All that matters to this company is what, what happens on October 4th. Um, well, well, we'll see tomorrow night. We will see uh, what occurs in Atlanta. Um, but that is coming up on Tuesday night. Then on Wednesday, very busy day here at the post office. Up first, we've got the British Wrestling Experience, Benno, Martin, and Jamesy. They are assembling. And they will have uh, lots to run down. They're going to be chatting uh, the most recent OTT card. Uh, a great match recently between uh, Daniel Maccabe and Carlos Romo. Uh, as well, Daniel Maccabe is going to be joining them. I like to look at these interviews now as like the Jamesy Chronicles. He, his latest guest is uh, Daniel Maccabe, an uh, individual that I got to chat with a little bit over SummerSlam weekend because he was here in Toronto. So I'm looking forward to that chat. And they will have, I am sure... Benno is going to have, well, all three of them, I'm sure, many thoughts on Eddie Dennis, your new, your new Progress Unified Champion, who was crowned this past Sunday. Very cool. Those guys always do a tremendous job. So subscribe to the British Wrestling Experience. Yes, check, it, check them out. Wednesday as well, we are going to have the double shot where Wayne and I are reviewing the final two episodes, episodes 9 and 10 of GLOW Season 3. The season it's all finale. over with. The season finale, yes. Maybe the series finale. Who knows? It has yet to be. We've we've yet to receive news of this uh, series being picked up for a fourth season. So this could very well be the end of Glow. Maybe our final Glow reviews. And what a season it's been. John and I will pretty much be assessing the the series uh, or the season as a whole and taking a bit of your feedback as well if you choose to leave it at the forum. Yes. So tune into that. Find out if we are going to provide a glowing review or in the season finale, did Glow blow it? Find out on Wednesday. <laughs> Plus, uh, way you are going to watch Bloodsport. Is that the plan? Is that the tentative plan? I will. I will uh, state ahead of time. I'm not going to have time to watch this show. 
It's absolutely the plan. I think it might be the only thing salvaging my love of wrestling my, is my anticipation to, to watch the show. Um, I definitely need something to kind of cleanse my palate. Well, it, it it's a show that I've seen really great reviews for, so I will uh, live vicariously through you uh, if you can review that on The Double Shot. And I think we'll also get into the uh, the Sasha Banks Chronicle on The Double Shot as well. So all of that is coming up Wednesday for CAFE members. But the main event, Wednesday night, NXT is moving to the USA Network, 50% on the USA Network, 50% on the network. If you're in Canada, what a headache this is going to be uh, where you can, I guess, watch the second hour of the show on Wednesday night, but then you can watch the whole thing on Thursday night on the network. Very troublesome. Somehow, Braden Harrington and Davey Portman, I think they're going on a road trip to Buffalo to watch it on the USA Network. Then they're going to come back and they're going to do a podcast Wednesday night. So Wednesday night, a special edition of Up Next going through the full two hours of NXT from Full Sail University, including uh, Matt Riddle versus Killian Dane, which is on the network portion, Velveteen Dream versus Roderick Strong, and then you have the uh, the four-way women's match uh, to crown the number one contender for the women's title. Yeah, very excited to to hear that. It's uh, twice the workload for those boys, but uh, I think um, they'll do a great job. I look forward and, to see, hearing their show. What is it? So. It'll go up Wednesday evening. Is that right? Yes. So, so as soon as it's done, I imagine they'll, they'll probably record it. So late Wednesday. Yes, late Wednesday. And they're also going to have uh, some kind of announcement on Wednesday as well. I don't know if it is a gender reveal. I don't know what they are going to be announcing. But we will uh, have our ears open for Braden and Davey uh, to announce whatever it is that they are going to announce on Wednesday and then we will chat with them the following day. They will be here in studio for the cafe hangout at 3 p.m. Eastern time. If you're a double-double ice cap or espresso member of the cafe, you can watch us live, all four of us here in the post office, taking your phone calls, chatting uh, the fallout of the first NXT episode on USA and whatever other news is going on uh, that Thursday. So tune into that. Friday, the return of the MCU review and what is on the, the post-cinema uh, this Friday way. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, maybe uh, somewhat timely, given that uh, James Gunn seems to have revealed his Suicide Squad cast, and among them, our favorite professional wrestler turned actor, the latest one, John Cena. So um, we'll be talking about his latest at Marvel Cinematic Universe film, Guardians of the Galaxy 2. Yes, looking forward to that uh, review. That, again, will be up on Friday. Into the weekend we go. Saturday night, Davey is uh, planning to be joined by Jesse from the Six to go through the two Evolve cards. They're doing Friday and Saturday. Uh, Saturday is going to include Walter versus Cassius Ono, which should be really strong. So um, Davey's going to be going through the Evolve cards. Um, I put an asterisk next to that for ordering problems that could uh, happen along the way. But that is the plan for Saturday evening with Davey. And then we cap off the weekend Sunday night. Way and I are back with a Destruction in Kobe post show for members of the cafe. This is the big show of the tour, headlined by Tetsuya Naito and Jay White, as well as uh, Hiroki Goto taking on uh, Shingo Takagi as well. So, a uh, big show from New Japan coming up on Sunday, and that is our week at postwrestling.com. What a, what a packed week we have, Way. I know, as always. Show every day. So, look forward to all of that great stuff. And now we can head on over to some news items. I believe the biggest thing today was that uh, Paul Levesque did a conference call with members of the media to promote the debut on USA. 
and covered a lot of lot of ground in this call. There were a lot of good questions asking pretty much about the future of NXT and how 205 Live and NXT UK are going to be incorporated under the brand. And um, some notes here. He went over the fact that with the TakeOver specials, they're still in the process of finalizing their schedule, but indicated that Worlds Collide in January, that's not going to be a one-off special. And you will probably see more TakeOver specials uh, be standalone events, uh, similar to what they did this past June with the 25th fifth show in Bridgeport, but also did say that there could be times when TakeOver is a part of a weekend like WrestleMania. So uh, it's it's really a bit of a challenge to kind of read between the lines with Paul Levesque because everything is maybe this, maybe that, we could do this, and you kind of have to just get a, an approximation of what of the picture he's trying to paint and you're trying to put a frame around it, if that makes sense. Well, my feeling is that I feel like a lot of these things that he's being asked, he might not even really know the final answers to. It could be. Um, could be. Um, you know, he he is never going to show too much of his hand here, but I think also he is wise enough that on these calls, he wants to provide enough that he's going to ultimately get stories and coverage out of these. Like, there is a, str- a strategy behind these calls specific to wrestling media, Um to, to get that kind of engagement and to get that kind of coverage as well, or else uh, he wouldn't be doing these. Like, obviously, there is a, a need to do these for Paul Levesque every month. For sure. And we see, I think, um, you know, AEW employ very much a, a similar tactic where, you know, these two companies seem to embrace wrestling media and know really how to use wrestling media to get their word out. Whereas I feel like traditionally we see uh, Vince kind of shy away and maybe have a, a bit more of an antagonistic relationship with the with media dude vince mcmahon doing one of these every month with the uh, wrestling media would be awesome i think he'd get through one of them (laughs) and he'd have and we'd get a blow up of some sort at at someone asking some question but those would be just absolute must listen to um he goes on to talk here about um uh, first of all what what do you think about that idea like let's uh, you know a lot of these are hypotheticals as we went over but TakeOver remaining a part of WrestleMania weekend. I I do feel like TakeOver is a big part of the WWE's uh, WrestleMania weekend. I would be hesitant to take that out if the replacement is the Hall of Fame or something like that. I agree. I I feel like TakeOvers often have become a highlight of WrestleMania weekends, um, including above WrestleMania. So not only is it a great time to gain exposure for your your, uh, uh, new product, um, those shows have typically become the biggest takeovers of the year as well. So, so to suddenly pluck those away, not have your own kind of, you know, a supplementary product benefit from that giant audience that's there and letting what ROH take advantage of that. Any indie GCW take advantage yep. of all that. Yep. Clearly- Especially ROH. And, um, you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of role ROH is in on WrestleMania weekend next year. And what a contrast year to year. Um, mm. That is, yeah. but yeah, you know, it's a great point. Like you take takeover at a WrestleMania weekend, you are sending uh, minimum, I believe, five thousand people on a Saturday night to a different destination. Yeah, so I see them keeping takeover around, and not only that, I see them doing more counter program programming that entire weekend. Um, there's really, you know, maybe they'll do a Worlds Collide and a takeover and something Good. else on top of that. Um, you know, like I think we've seen their strategy is to completely inundate the wrestling fans attention span so that they don't go elsewhere. And to me, takeover is really kind of their, their biggest tool to prevent people from going elsewhere. 
Uh, he was asked several times about the draft. How would NXT be incorporated? And this one, like he pretty much said, like this is going to be a Raw and SmackDown affair. NXT is not going to be drafting people. Um, didn't really comment if like NXT performers could get drafted. And that's one where I don't care what the answer is today. That could always change over the next couple of weeks. And all it's going to take is a decision that we want to pluck this talent. Although I'd look at now... Um, there better be a really strong reason to take a talent from NXT. It's great if you've got a, an idea like we're going to take the Undisputed Era and they are going to be the new shield and they're going to be protected and we've got long-term plans, but they can't afford to be grabbing guys that are just going to be Apollo Crews or Chad Gable because they need uh, – uh, NXT needs to be loaded right now. Or Aleister Black uh, or the Authors of Pain or, uh, you know, like EC3 – like I, I just think this year really has shown that. Oh man! Like remember Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa were called up at one point. Like they really felt like it really felt like they were plucking all these people out just seemingly for no reason, having zero plan for them once they got into the main roster. And that's why we're left with somebody like Aleister Black or the Authors of Pain finally right now, perhaps getting a storyline. Aleister Black, you know, I think we're still waiting. So, um. The the draft, though, is a great time to, like, you know, put a bit of new spotlight on somebody so I could see them maybe saving that for one particular person. Yeah. Um, but I, I definitely wouldn't do the multiple call-ups when they have plenty of people still from NXT who have yet to kind of get their, their fair shake on the main roster. What do you think happens with the Street Profits at the draft? I think they stay in NXT, despite the fact that, you know, they've been so featured on Raw, I think they become a, a valuable commodity to keep in NXT. Um, at the same time, I mean, they, they had to run with the titles. They lost them. I mean, you've kind of done your story with them. You know what? Now that I think about it, maybe if you're going to call anybody up, maybe those guys would be it. Yeah. It just seems that if they, they have to make a decision on where are these guys going to be slotted. And the fact they're still being featured each week lends me to believe that, uh, perhaps they are just going to stay up here. Like they've dedicated, I won't say a lot of time, but there's been a lot of focus on them all summer long. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, just going through a few more points uh, that were brought up here. Um, they talked about uh, several people asked about the takeovers potentially being uh, longer in length because of the additional hour each week and having more programs and more people in the mix. And Levesque seems pretty steadfast on the idea of trying to keep the takeovers to the length where people are satisfied and not feeling like they drag on. And that was interesting because that's a, you know, a, a stark contrast to the WWE big shows, but stating that, you know, we don't have to have all our stars on every takeover show. And he compared it directly to UFC cards where each month it's a different buildup and it's different stars on pay-per-views. Takeovers are not all that different. And there are so few spots at takeovers that you have a very hungry locker room that are coveting those spots and that makes for a very strong locker room that are all trying to fight for those very few spots. So it seems that the two and a half to three hour length of takeovers are kind of what he wants to cap these at. I mean, I love hearing that. I think that's a huge part of why takeovers have been as consistent as they've been is because they, they've been short. They haven't had five hours per, per uh, special to give us filler. There's no time for filler because there's so few shows and those shows aren't very long. So you you constantly get high quality. And I'm really glad to hear him reiterate that. Of course, you know, once once we 
what we see in execution once the TV deal starts and maybe, you know, he more influence is put on takeovers might be different from what he says here. But I'm hoping because it's Triple H, he maintains, you know, most of the control. Yeah. And it wouldn't surprise me if that is a, a fight he has had to have in the past, because as everything on the network has been uh hours consumed i mean it just lends you to believe like tack on another hour to these takeover specials they're so popular and they've been able to maintain the same length the same length for the tv show for the takeover specials and i think that that has been a positive for them even though i'm sure there are people that are crunching all the numbers that state all these people would stick around for another hour of takeover they might complain it might water down these specials but they'll watch them and that's been i think more so a creative decision a philosophical one and one that does have a value to it very much so um they've mentioned this was already mentioned previously that they're looking at doing six takeovers next year along with two nxt uk specials and said it would be very likely that talent from nxt uk would be shifting over and being featured on the usa network as well and then the topic of 205 live was brought up and he said he said that he kept saying they want to create opportunities for the cruiserweights and threw out the idea that perhaps the cruiserweight title could be defended on future takeover specials in addition to WWE pay-per-views, which seems kind of counter to the whole thing they're trying to push, that these will be three distinct brands and having the cruiserweights kind of in all over the place. Like, I, I feel like you have to make your decision, like, where are these guys best served? And I think the cruiserweights doing their matches in full sale will have a much better chance of getting over than the present presentation. He he didn't say one way or another if 205 Live as its own show is uh, what the future is going to be. But again, he did the interview last week um, talking about the, the fact that, you know, the cruiserweights could be under that NXT umbrella. And that seems to be the most logical place for these guys. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, in in a response like that, I think there's a lot of either wishful thinking or maybe dancing around, you know, not knowing what really the plan is going to be yet. Um, I, I, you, you know, you know my opinion, John. I think they should exist within the NXT quote unquote universe and not mix with you know WWE main roster pay per views on the kickoffs as much as you know exposure as that might give them the audiences just don't make those matches feel at all special. Whereas we just saw with like Drew Gulak being on an Evolve show, he felt like a superstar. So I, I'd love to continue to see those, but under the NXT banner. Uh, so those are the main points uh, in the call from uh, Paul Levesque. So um, yeah, it, it's a, it's a very big week for them and it'll be a very heavily focused upon number on Wednesday. What What is your prediction on Wednesday night? Uh, the one hour from eight till nine, uh, higher or lower, I'm going to say 700,000 viewers. I think higher. Higher? Yeah. I, I think that that would be viewed as a success for week one if it tops 700,000 viewers. Yeah, I think so. I mean, then again, there really wasn't that whole lot of promotion for it today. Like, maybe the big show is going to be um, October, October 4th. Second. Or October 2nd, uh, I mean. Uh, yeah. But I, I'll go over 700. Uh, Laredo Kid, he is out of BOLA. Um, the Cubs fan actually reported this, that uh, he's off. It's believed he's going to do this reality series that is filmed in the Dominican Republic, and it airs on TV Azteca in Mexico. So it's a pretty big deal, this uh, reality series. And I don't know anything about this reality series. I was just kind of reading about it today. But it's you go and do, like, all these, like, 
athletic courses and it's all like athletic based and dragon lee's done it in the past il del uh, octagon has done it and they've gone and done it for like months at a time like three and five months apiece so it could be a very long time that he's off doing this um the trade-off is it's very big exposure for him so uh he's dropped his bookings and i guess it's he's gonna be mia but uh, he's been replaced by Puma King, who is stepping in for Bola this week and will take on Bandito in the opening round. So I think no harm, no foul. You get Puma King in there. And uh, Laredo Kid is off to do this series that I have a mild curiosity to kind of watch and see what this uh, the, all the fanfare is about this reality show. I have no idea what the show is. I mean, it seems to me like some sort of cross between like Survivor and like um, like American Ninja Warrior or something or like some type of. Yes. Please let me know if we get this in any form in Canada. I don't think we do, but maybe I'll be surprised. Maybe it's on some random channel I have that I'm not aware of. Uh, A channel I don't have is Access TV, but if you do have it, this Friday, they are going to be airing the full Invading New York card from Sunday night at the Hulu Theater. It's going to air 8 till 11, which was the previous slot that their live MMA programming was in that ended this past Friday. So, um Access already getting the rights. Well, this was obviously a part of the deal with Anthem to promote this show was getting the broadcast rights. And we were aware that um, they were going to be broadcasting it. Just a question of where. And, of course, having access, that makes sense. Uh, But it's the whole show that's going to be airing in that three-hour slot. So all seven matches. And I think it's great if you missed this show and heard all about it. But again, I go back to like Royal Quest and then it's on New Japan World two days later. I can imagine some people that paid for this on pay-per-view and then you find out after the fact uh, it's on free TV several days later. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I suppose so. But I mean, this happens with boxing all the time, doesn't it? But you know HBO is going to be airing the fight. Well, when HBO aired boxing, like you always knew it. you could wait a week and what you're paying for was the opportunity to watch it live. And this was we're telling you after the fact that you have this other option. Well, maybe this is the first. And from this point forward, maybe this is the case now for for other things. But I, 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 I personally don't mind it so much. Like you said, John, anybody who paid to watch it live had the privilege of watching it live, which I think is very different. From watching it a week later. And this show, I think it was what, fourteen ninety nine was what it was listed on, on Fight, and it sounds like it was a great show. So it was um it, it seemed to be like I, I saw mostly positive feedback to it. Um I have not had a chance to watch the show yet with Clash of Champions, but l- largely positive response to it as well. AEW is going to Indianapolis, Indiana on November twentieth. So now the first ten weeks of TV all have locations. Uh, that they have rolled out. Those tickets will be on sale uh, coming up this Friday. And they have added a match to the first week on TV between Brandon Cutler and MJF. This was set up on being the elite and has been a match they've been pretty much promoting for, seems like months at this point, of teasing this match. For a bit, yeah. MJF, uh, if you haven't seen this week's being the elite, just watch the first couple minutes. He is fantastic. And final note, I just want to make mention, a friend of the show, Damian Abraham, his show, The Wrestlers, uh, if you're in Canada, MTV Canada has put up all 10 episodes for free on their website, and I have the link in my update from Monday. So if you want to go check that out, uh, Way and I did extensive reviews of every episode with Damian uh, earlier this summer, so the series is all up there if you're in Canada or you're smarter than a computer and can figure out how to watch these. 
That's really cool. And a special plug, you know, if you watch these episodes and want to hear Damien talk a little bit about the behind the scenes makings of them, go back to this summer's editions of the Cafe Hangout where Damien Abraham appeared uh, on each week to talk about those week's uh, episodes of The Wrestlers. So, yeah, uh, tons yeah. of behind the scenes stories, stuff that didn't make it and a lot of interesting notes about the the filming of these shows and all the different countries he traveled to. So I think very good uh, companion episodes, if I do say so myself. And me and Way are awesome on these shows as well. So that's uh, incredible. Yeah. That goes without saying. So uh, there you go. Those are all your news items. You can go to postwrestling.com. Uh, after Raw, we'll chat a little bit about the New Japan card from the, the matches that Way and I have had a chance to see from today's show but and any thoughts on the big cast situation since we didn't oh yeah we 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 should go over that we we didn't have a chance to talk about that so um just a quick recap here of what went down so on saturday night there was a wrestle pro event and this was all built around um company owner pat buck who has started as a producer with wwe this was going to be his final show and earlier in the in in the day um there was some altercation involving Cass and joey janella and I, I guess they exchanged words and it got to the point where they ended up uh, taking Janela out of the room and just separating the two uh, later on. And, and a lot of this um, Voices of Wrestling were the first to report this. And then Mike Johnson had a lot of additional reporting of uh, what went on um, backstage at the show. But uh, this escalated into Cass. I guess some of his belongings were missing and he started accusing people in the locker room and it seemed to have a very threatening tone to it. And he went into a room where uh, Pat Buck was with several other wrestlers getting ready for his match and ended up it, it escalated to the point that Cass spit in Pat Buck's face and Buck was uh, had his back to the wall and, and punched Cass and it got to to that situation and the building is attached to it's next door to the Rawway police station in New Jersey. So there were several officers already in the building. They removed Cass from the building. He was not arrested, but he ended up the report states that he was taken off uh, in an ambulance. And, you know, Cass has been pretty uh, public about some of the problems he has been going through battling depression. So this feels like a very touchy story. And it seems that, you know, at the end of all of this, it was a lot of concern about this guy, more so than uh, any kind of legal matter uh, about it. But it just seemed to be a really um, unfortunate part of what was supposed to be a pretty feel-good show with uh, Pat Buck getting his uh, send-off. But uh, Sean Ross Sapp added that uh, Joey Janela declined to press charges because there was uh, a portion here where uh, some people were st- were stating that there might have been physical contact, but that wasn't confirmed. But Janela was not pressing charges. So that's kind of the the recap of what happened on Saturday. And there's been no word from Cass about this. He has not addressed any of this. Yeah, and I'm I'm not even sure I, I really want him to. You know, I, what I would love is to hear that he's, you know, taking some time to himself out of the limelight and just, you know, just just take the time and, and to seek the help that, that he needs because I think this story was really scary. I mean, getting to some of the the rumored details of what was going on when everybody heard it, um, nobody I think ever was reacting with any type of like, oh ha ha, this is like you know like the no, there, en- there was no Enzo humor and Joey Janela getting into a fight at the Blink One Eighty Two concert. This was nothing like that. This was to me a serious cry for help from a guy. So um, I hope he takes the time to find it, and I hope the wrestling community is supportive of that. Yeah, I I 
I think so too. Um, it's you know this this guy's obviously going through a lot of uh, a, a lot of a lot of issues. I mean that's uh, probably pr- pretty easy to assume. So um, that that is the the story there. And if there is any update, uh, we will uh, follow this as well. But maybe it's tough. It's like it was a similar reaction I had kind of coming out of uh, watching that that Chronicle episode of you know when you are going through some problems like. It, your your work it if it's pro wrestling and it's not isolating pro wrestling but like there comes a time when maybe you need to be away from this and and not just away from wrestling itself but away from social media and away from the wrestling audience and away sure. from you know even like talk like this i hope he's not listening i hope because i'm sure coming out of this story everybody's got an opinion on it and it's our job of course to you know talk about it as news but i i don't know how healthy it is for the person that's involved in the news to to listen to any of the gossip so Hopefully he he finds a way to deal with it all. Yes, um, you know we we also skipped over a major news item, and that is uh, local celebrity Dan the Mouth Lebransky. Oh my God, who is <laughs> um, become one of the big newsmakers in the city of Toronto, along with his uh, his lovely girlfriend Katie. Who uh, I I think we should just send people to just go search out. Uh, Dan Lebransky and his his position right now in the middle of the Canadian federal election that's going on and how Dan Lebransky has become like this interesting sidebar story about this big issue about uh, election signs popping up on your lawn, perhaps unsuspectingly. Yeah. So um, the story goes, um, Dan and his his girlfriend, Katie, had, uh, I guess, found a a sign for the conservative party because there's a federal election occurring in Canada right now. So there's a sign for the conservative party placed on their lawn. And I think Katie did some research and discovered that there are actually rules. Well, there are rules against taking the sign off or something like that. I guess they, they were told, I think they contacted elections Canada and were given advice that turns out it, it doesn't sound like it's accurate, that it is actually illegal to take down a sign on on private property. So it is illegal to take down signs if it's on public property. Like you cannot just uh, deface or take down those signs. But if it's on your property and you have not given consent to have that sign placed up there, you can take it down. They contacted Elections Canada and were kind of told uh, otherwise. And I'm assuming that perhaps it was lost in translation of if if it was on uh, a public a public street or somehow on what is considered like city property as opposed to their own private property. And, and perhaps um, they were mistaken to have given permission because they claim that they never gave permission. Meanwhile, the um, candidate that the sign represented said one of their volunteers asked for permission last year or, or earlier on May 31st. Apparently they came by to ask permission to have a sign placed on the lawn. So, so even you know, though the, the federal election was just called though, I don't know. Well, I, I mean, maybe just a sign overall for the conservative party. I don't know, but clearly like Katie says, they never gave that permission at all. So at some point, some mistake clearly was made. Um, but it, it resulted in perhaps the best reaction ever. And knowing that Dan Lebransky is attached to this makes the story like to me, make, makes me love Dan so much more. 
I'm just imagining that maybe someone like knocked on their door and like Mike was over there for like a pay-per-view or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can put up whatever. <laughs> oh my god. Oh I'm yeah, joking, we didn't even, I'm joking. Didn't really get, to get even get into it, but so there's a, a sign for a conservative party candidate, and so Katie and Dan decided to put their own signs around the sign and signs of their own that read, "They placed their sign on our lawn without our consent." And don't, don't vote. vote for with an arrow pointing at the sign they, they were told they could not take down. Oh, and the penmanship on these signs. I have to really. Fantastic. It, I, 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 listen, Dan is a very good writer, but I think Katie's uh, Katie's skill with like baked goods. You know, you know, that, oh, yeah. that is someone with a, with a clear attention to detail on uh, the signs. So, I mean, geez, if if Mouth was ever uh, a sign taker to wrestling shows, I think he's got a ringer and Katie. <laughs> I think so, too. Them. Yeah, I think so too. Um, anyway, this is this yeah. has become like a pretty big story in Toronto this weekend. I mean, Blog To covered it, and then all of a sudden, I see Tan Lebransky and Katie, uh, and their photo is on the Toronto Star website uh, because I guess it's going to be in the newspaper tomorrow, uh, covering this issue that has just become a really, you know, fairly notable story in Toronto today. So anyway, there you go, Dan Lebransky, a giant star. I'm gonna maybe he'll be our write-in vote for. The, the election next month. I would 100% vote for him. Mouth for mayor. Although this is not a mayoral election. But everyone gets my drift. Maybe a political run is in Dan Lavransky. Just like Glenn Jacobs in Knox County. And that takes us to Raw in Knoxville, Tennessee tonight. Seth Rollins comes out to start the show. And he starts off by going over the win against Braun Strowman. And then was attacked by the Fiend. Leading to a yowie wowie chant. And he wants Bray one-on-one at Hell in a Cell. And as he continues, the Firefly Funhouse interrupts him. Bray calls Rollins a sick dude. And Ramblin' Rabbit pleads for Seth to run. You don't know what you're doing. And Bray says that the Fiend never forgets. And he might have more to to say tonight. And he stares until he laughs and says, see you in hell. Yeah, did, did he? Did didn't they cut between him and the fiend? Yes, during the yeah. stare. Yep, they cut. Or wait, it. no, no. Actually, this was them just cutting him, between him and Rollins. Right, I think for this one. Yes. Okay. So the segment ended, and then as they're teeing up the show, the graphics are upside down, and these were obviously done on purpose. And Bray's music playing underneath this was supposed to be the tip off. And if you were not convinced by that, Renee calling attention to them was certainly the exclamation point on this. But I think it was just something to, you know, Bray is kind of um, kind of put Bray's influence on this. I think that and I think they also know that anytime they make a fuck up, it gets the people's attention on Twitter. Um, and we've seen them do intentional fuck ups in the past with like the dude running in drink, doing the Batista pose. You remember that backstage? Oh, that's right. That's when they were doing stuff to try and emphasize that the show is live and mistakes can happen. So, you know, maybe another attempt at that. But nah, I'll say it worked. You know, I think it generated quite a bit of interest and probably caught a lot of people off guard. Uh, this was cool. Like, I, I, we got to see again how the Firefly Funhouse segments work in a live setting with this time uh, an op- opposing person on the other end talking. And... To me, the, to my knowledge, this was the first time we saw a Firefly Funhouse mid promo 
and seeing Bray interact with his cast of characters with somebody inside the ring. And it was relatively simple, and I thought it really worked. So I thought everything they did with The Fiend on this show was strong. Like This was a lot of him on this show per uh, the usual standards, mm-hmm. and I thought they did a really good job with him. Yeah, and with him being the main event in three weeks, I think they're going to have to do a whole lot more. And it's been great. It's been unpredictable. They're being creative and trying brand new things they haven't tried before. Uh, very effective, I thought. Charlie interviewed Braun Strowman. He, uh, Charlie didn't think he would be here tonight, and he said he's off to destroy people. There was going to be a tag champion summit in the ring with Robert Roode, Dolph Ziggler, and The Revival, all with their titles. Roode starts running down everyone that doubted them, including Michael Cole, and then Braun runs out, attacks everyone, running shoulder tackles, and everyone's dead except for Roode, who escapes, and because... Had he been hit with a shoulder tackle, he would not have been able to recover to come back for the main event later, I guess. Well, Dolph did, though. He couldn't wrestle, though, way. So I guess he could, he could walk. Why, why, why else would you not take out Root here? Like, he was, he was, yeah. he was saved. Yeah, yeah well, no, I, I know that's the reason. But um, anyway. Meanwhile, the revival died. Yeah, they're, they're, they, they were suffering the same fate as that referee from yesterday. They they officially became the SmackDown Tag Champions in this segment. You know, like you and I were wondering yesterday, oh, they wouldn't possibly <laughs> like uh, have Bobby Roode all of a sudden lose to Seth Rollins for no reason. Not only did they end up doing that, they destroyed the other tag team champions as well. So if this, you're a tag, this team- could have so easily been done with just like Roode and Ziggler, so, or just the revival as well. I mean, I would argue you shouldn't be doing that this at all with any of your tag team champions. I mean, this totally gave me you know WCW like Kevin Nash destroying all the cruiserweight types of vibes, and certainly you know when you look at the the value of these tag team championships, I I really don't think that comparison is very far off because these titles mean nothing and the champions mean nothing. Not disagreeing with you. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross were drinking coffee backstage. I'm curious if it would be decaf or not. Did you notice when we were out tonight, Way, I got a decaf? I noticed, yeah. And they said that they don't serve decaf other, other, other uh, unless it's espresso. And he, he gave me, like, there was a modicum of attitude in his response. I was like, okay, I'll get, I'll get that. And then uh, it came to, like... I didn't, I didn't sense it. I did. Maybe you are just sensitive. Uh, I'm a little sensitive to it, but then the the lady rang me up and said it was two dollars and thirty cents or something, and I gave her a twenty, and she like gave me a look like really, it's like <laughs> it's a twenty, I'm not giving you a fifty. God damn! Do do, 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 was, do you want me to try and count up my quarters to see if they equal two thirty? Sounded like there were there was way more drama in this interaction than I thought. Like I thought it was pretty casual, but. I, I'm very alert to all these little things, and I always assume the worst of people too. So that's on me. <laughs> How was it though? How was the decaf espresso? What did you have? Not like a latte. N- not bad. Not bad. It was. It was all right. It was. It wasn't great. Not. Not awful. All right. Cool. Yeah. They're sipping their coffee. They bring up. Uh, remember when Sasha trashed these titles? Oh yeah. They say Bailey's pathetic, and they're going to show them how true champions treat these titles tonight. Yeah, we'll doing, see. Do it. <laughs> doing clean losses. <laughs> The OC took on Cedric Alexander out for his revenge and the Viking Raiders. Uh, so we had um, we had multiple former New Japan champions in this match. That is right. Not Cedric Alexander, but everybody else. No, everyone else. Yeah. 
Alexander's in control of AJ. Uh, Eric scoop slams Ivar on top of Anderson. They asked Renee, what, what is unique about Eric? And Renee said, well, Eric is the powerhouse. Is he, though? That's what I was asking. I'm like, Ivar looks like a strong individual. I, in fact, if I had to pick one over the other, I, I don't know if I'm not looking at Ivar well, to carry a bus. Well, here's the thing, because, like, Ivar is the bigger one, but he's also, like, the guy with the agile, like, like quick spots. He's the guy doing the cartwheels. He's the guy doing all, all that stuff. So is that what she means? He's a mobile home. So what is Eric, then? Uh, he is, I guess he's the, the station wagon in Park or something. Oh, I don't know. No, that's, I don't know. That's not a compliment at all. Well, you're you're saying one's like agile and and speedy. I mean, that means yeah. the other isn't. Yeah, I'm saying that's. Listen, this is really a great tag sad. team. Really, I don't know if we really differentiated the, the the two. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I'm still this many months in. I'm still needing a refresher of which one's Eric and which one's Ivar. They are still Hanson and Rowe to me. Um, Got to get over that. I'm trying to th- is there a way that is there a way to help you, like to help me even, maybe like, um, I. Like, cause he, so the the one with the long beard is Ivar. Ivar is is Hanson, right? And Eric no. is. Oh yes, no. Yeah, I... Eric is Raymond Rowe. Yes, yes, is yes. It... You're right. Yes, you're right. Okay, so so think about it like Eric Rowan, Eric Rowe. Oh, there Eric, you go. That that is my my trick, my my life hack, my raw hack. Ivar takes out everyone, does a cartwheel, clotheslines Anderson. Blind tag by Styles. He hits Alexander with a phenomenal forearm and pins this guy. And then for good measure, stomps him down some more. <laughs> I was like, all right. Well, it's we can't complain about 50-50 booking here. This is 100-0 booking with AJ and Cedric. Sure. Uh, the Vikings then get jumped by Gallows and Anderson. Ivar then climbed to the top and went for a somersault dive to Gallows, Anderson, and Eric. And Ivar went eye splat onto the ground. No one caught this poor guy. It looked like a really rough landing. Oh, Jesus. So Styles is on the top. Cedric crotches him, delivers these punches, and he goes for a top rope Hurricane Rana. AJ blocks it and hits the Styles Clash off the middle turnbuckle, the the spot that uh, he did to Naito at Wrestle Kingdom 9. He's done this a few times. I think he did this to Cena. Um, I'm just wondering, like, this couldn't have been the finish to one of the matches over the last 24 hours that we got between these two. Like, this is a pretty spectacular spot for a nothing post-match attack. Perhaps. I, I just this is like a big match thing mm. you, you, you could bring out, or at least, at least be the finish. I just don't think it would have made that big of a difference either way. You know, like, that match was so short. Do you re- really remember anything from it? Uh, I don't remember anything from either one. Um, but I remember this, the Styles Clash. This was impressive. I thought the match was fine, you know. Um, I, I, I thought Ivar is really standing out with his hot tags. His, you know, his his whole thing doing the cartwheels as a big man. This audience seems to gravi- gravitate towards immediately. So I'm glad to see the Viking Raiders finally s- seemingly get a program. I'm mildly interested to see them take on Gallows and Anderson. Um, but my question, I guess, coming out of this is, is this the end of Cedric's push or is this just their way of building up his underdog status to make you finally want to see him beat AJ Styles? Yeah, I think by match nine, he'll have everybody. <laughs> I just a few more months man, like coming even coming out of this attack, though, I I don't sense that much spotlight on him. 
like typically they would at least put the camera on the guy that was beaten up to make you you know think about it from his perspective and i i really felt like he he was just beaten up and then kind of relegated to to an afterthought when you do these kinds of things and i don't think beating a guy continually helps pretty much ever but you need to give him something like something for the audience to latch onto, like a moral victory or Chuck he Gable. gets some something. Uh, they've given Cedric nothing here, nothing to hang his hat on, even in defeat. It's just beaten post-match beat down. And how can an audience cheer for this guy? You don't want to cheer a loser. Ultimately, our um, truth and Carmela are on a tour of the university of Tennessee at the women's college basketball hall of fame. R-Truth is worried about the giant ball dropping on them when Mayor Glenn Jacobs walks in and R-Truth says he looks familiar. Don't I know you? Uh, At one point of the names he listed, he thought he was Larry Bird and Kane wants to take them on a tour of the city. R-Truth thinks he's the president and Carmela is very suspicious about this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What could this lead to? We will find out. King of the Ring Finals, Baron Corbin, Chad Gable. Very significant pre-match detail. We got the tail of the tape, and Gable's finisher is listed as the Chaos Theory. Uh, I, I loved seeing that. Now, it, it they've yet to call it that in the body of the match itself. So this could be some, you know, uh, the graphics guy recognizing that this is what... What the movie? You're like, is. hey, T.J. Wilson, type in the finisher <laughs> for uh, Chad Gable. You're in charge of the of the graphics. Yeah. Uh, so we we we've kind of really yet to see it officially recognized, but the fact that it was on on screen, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. I also saw a, a bunch of people on Twitter not knowing what it was. Like, what oh. is this chaos theory? Uh, like what the is this like? Uh, Okada's group has a theory. Yeah, I wonder if those people would. Anyway, yeah. yeah. This match started at 8.45. Did you find that a little little odd? Um, Not so much. I think that they're looking at, you know, without fail, the first hour is going to be the most watched hour. So I don't look at the fact that they put this on early as like an indictment of it. If anything, I think they felt that there are stakes to this match. And this is probably because the Monday night football game, I don't know what time it exactly started at, but... um. I don't know. I, I didn't read too much into it. Uh, do, you, do you think they could have put this on late in the show? No, I mean, it was more so the fact that they didn't start it perhaps at the top of the hour, which, you know, maybe they typically do. But this was also done to perhaps peak at the top of the hour, too. That's true. Yeah, because they got a lot of time here. Um, Gable drop kicks him over the top. Then Corbin runs at Gable and Gable takes a back body drop into the timekeeper's area. We go through a break. Uh, as we come back from the break, Gable is beating the count in. So we got, a, I guess, a three-minute count. Uh, there's an inside-out lariat. And then Baron Corbin applied the the Wei Ting rest hold. I, I have to say, like, these these chin locks, this half-Nelson half thing has really not bothered me all that much during this King of the Ring run. Like, if he has the quality of matches that, he can, that, he's, that he's been having, you deserve a break. Take a rest. Put that chin lock in. Take a breather. You know? And Kit not- Kat is one of the sponsors on this show. Sure. The Kit Kat lock. Call it that. Whatever. Give me a break. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they haven't been that long. They have not certainly. I haven't been bored watching these Corbin matches. 
Well, they gave you that one. Then they gave me Corbin running into the post shoulder first. Gable capitalizes. They're all chanting Gable. He land a missile dropkick and he fires up. He's hitting Kapu kicks like he's uh, Michelle Pereira from Saturday night. Did you? You have to watch that first round of this fight way. It is in. You would lose your mind watching this first round that this happened in an MMA fight. The stuff that wow. this guy tried a Pele kick. He tried a standing moonsault onto the guy. He hit a, he went for a Kapu kick at one point. Did he and win? then he was total. No, he gassed himself out beyond belief. <laughs> he came down, dude, he was walking down the octagon. He's doing this crazy break dancing routine. After one round, he had <laughs> nothing left. And the Canadian, uh, Tristan Connolly wins the, the fight. <laughs> That's the best. Uh, it was, it oh. was so unbelievable to watch. Like in, the fact is, I can imagine this on some like local amateur show. Some guy just does crazy shit. But to see this in the UFC, it was mind blowing to watch this. You, oh, you to need like, to watch this to, round. You mean to like work so hard throughout your entire career that you finally get to this stage so that you can, I guess, piss it away doing moonsaults? This, this guy is so entertaining to watch, but I can't say it's the best strategy, uh, as evidenced on Saturday. But nonetheless, um, Corbin pressed him into the air, into a slam. Gable was then thrown into the barricades. Corbin runs into the steps, and Gable wraps his knee around the post. He continues to attack the knee, and then runs into a deep six, only a two count. Chaos theory for a big near fall. Chad climbs to the top, lands on his feet from the moonsault, and then he dives and, like, ankle picks Corbin and applies the ankle lock. Corbin fights to the rope. The audience is really into this. Corbin is taking elbows to the side of the head, and as Gable goes for this beautiful tilt-a-whirl, it's countered into the end of days, and Baron Corbin bins him. Baron Corbin wins the match in 19 minutes and 5 seconds. This was... I don't even need any kind of argument to this. This was hands down, feet down, ass down, the best match of Baron Corbin's career. This was great. It was a very good match. Uh, given, especially considering the length and the fact that this was on TV, they managed to get that crowd and managed to get them louder by the end of these 20 minutes. And when you tell me that this was a match featuring Baron Corbin and Chad Gable, if you told me that three months ago, I would not think that it would have turned out this well. This was great. And they, this, this was not just Gable either. Like Gable's oh, a yeah. great opponent for, for Corbin, but Corbin, like I, I can't put my finger on it, but I think a, a low key improvement for this guy it's not just been like taking him off tv it's the shirt it's the shirt clearly the the, the shirt has probably helped but he also did the whole summer of house shows with seth rollins and i feel like that probably was good for him to be doing those kind of main events with seth off tv uh whatever it is um this was a very good tournament for baron corbin and i'm i i thought ultimately winning this you know what this guy worked really hard in this tournament and it paid like I really I don't believe I've ever seen a Baron Corbin match near this level. He absolutely wouldn't be my first option given the participants to win the King of the Ring, but by the time that he's won it right now, I'm certainly not upset. He's really taken this opportunity to rebrand himself. And you know, while I don't know how much King of the Ring will do for Corbin, I feel like he'll just be in the same spot to be quite honest. Cause like I don't see him being any more over than he was like as a general manager or constable or anything like that to me this is just another label that probably could have been used better on somebody like a ricochet or mustafa ali or somebody somebody else but now that he's won it i'm really not all that upset because he's done great in this tournament chad gave I, yeah 
Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Uh, your point about Gable. Well, I was talking about, you know, I think Chad Gable, they managed to, like, have him look really good as the underdog who put in a valiant effort uh, towards, you know, trying to win the, the King of the Ring, but failing at the end. He got a great reaction from this audience, which, again, I wouldn't have expected three months ago. Um, he plays just an excellent underdog. But the problem is WWE has a bunch of excellent underdogs already. Like, we're talking about Cedric Alexander on this very show, uh, Mustafa Ali. It's a story that they know how to do. It's a story that works, but we certainly know that there's a ceiling to this. And what's Gable's ceiling? Where does he go after this? Yeah, um, Chad Gable's follow-up, I'm, I'm not as high on. We'll see. The draft, typically, I mean, they have their chosen few when they do these drafts of, like, new guys they are going to get behind. Personally, I would love to see Corbin go to NXT and work with all the cruiserweights. I only want to see this guy work with smaller guys. I mean 205 live is I think what you're looking for. Do I want sure. do you be, be the be the be the big bad heel on 205 live. I just I, I listen, I think Corbin's been good. I don't think he's been so good that people are willing to want to, you know, have him move over to like NXT and main event those those shows. I don't know. I'm not that. saying main event. I'm just saying you can put him in with like top level workers and I think you can have perfectly acceptable matches and because listen, you you throw this guy in there with with certain guys, I, I think the bloom will be off the this rose that has grown over the past three to four weeks. Perhaps, perhaps, absolutely, yeah. But um, what do you think his next program is, King Corbin? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know if you can uh, milk Chad Gable for another match out of this. Um, I don't know, but you would think that they're going to shoot some angle on Tuesday because they're going to do the coronation ceremony, and I would I would think someone interrupts him. Yeah, yeah, maybe somebody returning. Is is uh is Balor back soon? I don't think it'll be Balor. Um, I'm trying to think. They've had a lot of people just return. Um, Alistair Black. That you would, could do something with Alistair Black. That maybe. would kill him. Like, I mean, you can't have Black lose, right? Anyway, no, no, I would be protecting Black at all costs right now. The Street Profits are backstage for the gender reveal party for Maria Canellis that they are hosting. And, you know, we have talked about a lot of roles that different guys have to play. There is um, the class lines up at the top of the ramp. There is uh, having to wear the shirt promoting the next pay-per-view. There are uh, being the, one of the 24-7 guys. And then there is being the background players for the gender reveal party. And I'm scanning and I'm seeing the usual suspects. We've got Mike Kanellis there, obviously. Hawkins, Ryder, Titus O'Neill, Sarah Schreiber, Kayla Braxton, Sarah Logan, Heath Slater, and, excuse me, Ricochet. Yeah. And obviously there was a reason Ricochet was there. But when <laughs> Mike Kanellis enters, uh, sorry, Maria enters and announces it's a boy and all of them had to react like this was the biggest news ever. And Ricochet's reaction. To, I was just fixated on Ricochet's reaction to this. It was something else. And <laughs> she tells Mike that the father of the baby is Ricochet. And Ricochet immediately says, she's lying. She is lying. And Mike slaps him and tells him, meet me in the ring. And they storm off. And then Angelo Dawkins says... I was worried she was going to say I was the father. And they joke about 
a baby on a pole match. And then one of them says, what about a Maria on a pole match? And Montez Ford says, that's how we got here in the first place. So I just, I just had to take my headphones off because I, 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 I didn't want to relive this segment with you repeating it to me because it was tough enough watching it the first time. Um, I could. We just came off of a great match between Baron Corbin and Chad Gable, and all of a sudden, this show just took a nosedive. What the fuck was this? Like, <laughs> oh my god, just from you know, just the I I know it's a Maria Canellas Mike Mike Canellas angle, and those have really sunk the bar pretty deep anyway. But I thought this was next level, like just doing a straight up Jerry Springer nineteen ninety eight angle. On your WWE, te- I mean the WWE nineteen ninety eight angle on your twenty nineteen television, uh, along with like <laughs> Mike Canellis's immediate reaction to finding out that his wife has cheated with a fellow colleague and that the fellow colleague has impregnated his wife. Meet me in the ring. <laughs> Something I'm sure any any father any husband in that situation would probably say. And then the 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 tasteless joke about Maria being on a pole. Ah, uh, it was just. Ugh, this show just it, it we hadn't even re- reached our depth yet. Yes, yes. For all the uh, our our young female fans out there that live vicariously through our uh, our our superstars, from the baby faces too. Just the uh, very lame joke uh, that I'm you could certainly be offended by. It's just lame. Mike Canellis, yes, challenges. I, I was like. Why don't we do a game of like uh, pick up basketball? Sure, might have been more entertaining. Ricochet doesn't want to fight. He looks like a total idiot here. He's pleading his case. Canellis slaps him, drops him with a right hand. Ricochet hits a springboard clothesline in the recoil and wins in a minute six, so that Renee can say that Mike got his ass whipped by his own baby's daddy. And then Cole says, "What are they going to name the child? Rico?" Ricochet? Trevor? Yep. He would be Trevor Boy, I guess. Trevor Baby. What? His name's Trevor Man, so he oh. would be Trevor Trevor Child. Let's uh let's let's move on as as quickly as we can. This was awful. Like worst segment of the year material. Firefly Funhouse is back. He's got photos of Kurt Angle. Finn Balor, Jerry Lawler, Mick Foley, and that that last segment that have all died a death and X's through their eyes. And he has to find more friends because something is missing and he leaves. After the break, Mike is still reeling from the loss of his wife and the match. Maria comes out and says she lied so that she could motivate him. Ricochet is not the father. But she thought if she humiliated him, he would be man enough to defend her unborn child's honor. And maybe she will now reveal the father. And as she goes to reveal the father, Rusev comes out with his new companion, his mustache. And his bare chest. His bare chest. And this dude looked like... um, he just locked himself into a gym for several months and came out of it. This guy looked just shredded. Yeah, I mean, working and really tanned. Yep, working really hard. Um, and I'm sure 
incredibly happy that this ended up being the payoff for all those months of hard work. Yeah, Rusev, uh, you're going to come out and it's going to be as a one-line joke about your sleeping with Maria and impregnated her. So he is, as far as we know right now, he is the father? He was never said he's not the father. Right. They never cleared that up. They were Maria, like, once once Rusev came out, like, Maria was, like, smiling and almost, like, you know, uh, like, pointing at it, at him. As if to say this is who she meant to say all along. Yes. Um, Yeah. I mean, let's, you know, forget the fact that this is really stupid, and I can't believe, you know, this... I can't believe I was spending my adult life as a 35-year-old watching this. It was one of those moments. And on top of that, like, it would be one thing if this was, like, uh, Bobby Roode, okay, or Dolph Ziggler. But this was Rusev, somebody that throughout his entire history has been recognized as having a female companion and a wife in Lana. So her absence in this, or her lack of mention, really, in all this was completely perplexing. Another kind of dangling threat that remains to be unsolved that I'm sure will go the way of, you know, the, the Eric Rowan doppelganger. Um, I just, there was just so much wrong with this. Maybe they were like halfway through the writing of all these segments and someone in the room just like put his head in his hands and was like, they're trying to figure out, it's like, how do we, how do we reveal another father? And the guy, someone just goes, Oh God, this is Russo shit. Rusev? Get him on the phone. <laughs> God. Oh, A for effort. I tried. I tried. <laughs> I had another joke, but I'm not going to make it. So Rusev comes out. Mike says he's having a really bad day. You don't say. He doesn't want to fight. He tells Rusev, if you're the father, I'm okay with that. Congratulations. And then he took a stick of dynamite and attached it to his career. Cole, I swear to God, followed that by saying, this guy is a loser. Canellis trips over the steps like he tripped over this booking, got knocked down by Rusev, was destroyed. Graves seriously called him a beta cuck. Machka kick, accolade, and Mike submitted in 30 seconds and Maria walked out. What a 15 minutes of, I don't know what to call this. Oh, great family-friendly theater, of course. Emmy uh, Award-nominated theater drama. It was spectacular. Um, This match died in front of this crowd. And I'll say, I feel like the rest of this show died as a result of probably this angle. To me, I pinpoint this moment as when, man, like... Knoxville was just not, did not, did not, re, uh, come back. Um, nobody wants to see like, you know, Vince McMahon's weird fantasies played out on, on live television. It just, uh, it turned me off from the rest of the show. It might've even turned me off from life. We followed that with Kane and R-Truth at Nissan Stadium. And they brought out Officer Burns to introduce himself to R-Truth, but he's actually a referee. And Truth tries to leave, runs into the goalpost, and Kane pins him and starts chanting, I still got it, as he exits the stadium with the title. Yeah. 
They promoted the coronation of Baron Corbin on SmackDown tomorrow night. You have descended into like a four, haven't you? Like that segment really took life out of you, didn't it? Honestly, like I, I, you know, like the Kane thing you knew was coming, but you can't possibly expect me to give a shit about anything else on this show after a segment like that. Rey Mysterio and Cesaro. These two paid the ultimate price because this crowd couldn't care at all about this. Cesaro says that he should have listened to his son, and if Dominic shows up, he'll beat the hell out of him. So Ray attacked him on the floor, um, caught Ray with an uppercut when the bell rings, and then a running powerbomb gets countered, sends Cesaro into the corner. Ray gets hit with an uppercut from the floor, hits a 619 to the back. They went through the commercial. Uh, Ray hit a tornado DDT to the floor, a crucifix slam, then a twisting DDT off the middle rope. A lot of cool offense from Ray, but they were really struggling with the crowd. 619 gets caught, and he knees him in the ribs off of the shoulders, and then a head scissors sets him up, hits the 619 to Cesaro. Top rope senton gets caught, but Ray then hits a code red and pins Cesaro in 11 minutes and 26 seconds. Um, I, I thought these two, it was like an entertaining match, but I think they really struggled at this point in the show, and the crowd just uh, didn't really give a lot of energy to this. The crowd was dead. So dead, and I was dead, and I blame the poor setup for this match, really the lack of setup for this match, and just the terrible shit this poor crowd was presented with prior to this. This, to me, could have been a pay-per-view level match. This could have been a WrestleMania-level match with these two. Instead, I just felt like it was something that we were all waiting to just end, because I was waiting for the entire show to end by this point. What was up with, like, Cesaro's uh, tights and his gear? He came out in, like, these... He had, like, running shoes on, but, like, these dress pants. So, like, I don't know what's up, because, like, um, when they started the match, Cesaro acted all surprised, like, oh, the, we're having a match now? I only meant to, like, come out to talk to him. And so, I I suppose... So why was, was Ray out here? Great question. I don't know. Because uh, so he was. He was all confused because he got knocked down before the bell rung, and yeah. then the referee was asking him if he's okay, and, yeah, he had to play dumb, like, oh, I'm I'm in a match now? But they yeah. did not make this clear at all, like he was interrupting Ray, nor was Ray teasing like he had some promo to cut or a speech. He was just out there, and it felt like for a rep, for a match. So yeah. it just felt weird, like Cesaro was in these dress pants. I don't know if he, like, you know, lost his gear at the uh, in, in a flight or something and only was, like, wearing this tracksuit on the plane, perhaps, and had, thus had to wrestle in it. Who knows? And maybe this was their cover-up, but... It was not really explained all that well, nor do I really feel like they needed to even explain it all that well. Um, it was just really odd. They had another Firefly spot. Now he hung a picture of Seth Rollins. They plugged the draft, and Michael Cole confirmed no more wild card rule. It's done. Is that any different from what we have today? Like, how, how many SmackDown dudes were on this? Oh, I, Bailey. Um... I I can't tell you who's on Raw and who's Dolph. on SmackDown. Who cares? Whatever. Yeah, I'm not going to go through them. But I, I think they're still very liberal with them. But I seriously can't tell you who's on what show. Then, Way, we went to another room. And there seated were Akam and Razor. <laughs> yeah, they, they rented Mr. Black's room. Yes, and apparently they rented some suits as well. They were subtitled. They've had no match since WrestleMania, so even they have put out uh, the last Saudi Arabia show from their memory. They earn money by fighting. They couldn't make a living in MMA because no one wanted to fight them. 
And now it's the same in WWE. Every tag team in WWE is soft. None of you are hard enough. And they are the future of the tag division. And it's written in pain. And I really like the use of the subtitles here. And worked really well for these guys who God knows they needed something because they had just been on Forgotten Island. Yeah, they're speaking for themselves now. Um, I I think you and I always, you know, try to... I'm, I was so confused when I had to read the words. Oh, my God. Yeah. They don't speak English. I, and I, they I, do speak English. But, I mean, was this so hard? Was this so hard that we did a segment with subtitles? No, it was not so hard. Um, I think we're also, like, probably really easily impressed. Like, by sheer fact that they decided to use subtitles when I, you know, this was, uh, I think, a good segment simply because we got to hear them speak in a different language. Now, I'll I'll tell you, perhaps my confusion was the fact that they seemed to be talking in tandem and talking about one thing, finishing each other's sentences. But I was later um, informed that they are speaking two completely different languages. Sometimes people accuse you and I of doing that, where we're on different pages. So I guess they're very well versed in each other's languages, or they just they just well, they're really well rehearsed. I guess they 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 know how to finish each other's sentences. They're authors, bilingual authors. Clear, yes, author, trilingual. I like this a lot. I also on Sunday night um, after Clash of Champions watched. One of my favorite promos of the year from Minoru Suzuki as he's setting up this eventual match with Jushin Liger. And I could not help but imagine this guy three months into WWE and everyone would be saying, uh, he didn't get over. He He's not really that charismatic. I mean, I look at Shinsuke Nakamura and yeah, you can probably pin a lot on him, but I, but I think they have really allowed the language barrier to be way more of a hindrance than it needed to be and where this guy is. And then I just started envisioning Minoru Suzuki in WWE and what would we be saying about him two years into that run? I don't even want to give any thought to that. That's it's like a nightmare. Yeah. Sami Zayn would be out there. Minoru Suzuki's the father. And then he slaps Mike Kanellis back. Imagine, like, Minoru Suzuki going for the 24-7 championship. Jesus Christ. Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross versus Bailey and Sasha Banks. I'm sorry, I can't. I just can't let my mind go into these different directions. Uh, Renee reminds us, uh, they set this up by saying it's a non-title match, but if Bailey and Sasha win, they could be in line for these tag titles. So Renee, speaking for everybody at home, including me, reminds us, remember when Sasha didn't care about these titles? And Michael Cole just said, well, she's hungry for them now. All right. Lots changed in three weeks. Bliss hits a somersault off the apron and landed on Bailey and Banks and then was selling her knee, which would play into the attack later. They attack Cross in the corner. Bailey then yanks Bliss off the apron and is attacking her knee and drives it into the steps. Cross then tries to jump off of Sasha's shoulders out of the corner and nearly spills and d- dives trying to take out Bailey. Then Sasha gets trapped in the ring skirt and it seemed like she had a hell of a time trying to get out of here. 
There was a high cross to Bailey for a two count. Very rough looking tornado DDT by Nikki Cross. It just seemed like she was kind of all over the place here. She went for the top rope swinging neck breaker to Bailey, but Sasha made the save and then Banks backstabber bank statement and Nikki Cross tapped out at 13 and a half minutes as the champions showed the challengers what two champions who value these titles are really all about. Yes, yes. Pretty standard, I thought. Uh, Two-on-one handicap match by this point. Um, I thought there was a lot of rough stuff in this match. Yeah. I thought it was kind of like par for the course for like this group. Um, but, yeah. Are you okay? Sorry, I dropped my phone. Oh. I Again, I felt like all the matches coming off of that Canela segment were just done. Like, this crowd had no interest until Becky Lynch came out. Yeah, Banks has a chair, and Becky Lynch comes out with her own chair. And what I found so amusing about this was Becky's use of the chair to try and hit her. It wasn't like she was trying, like, an overhead shot. She was, like, pointing it towards her like she had the broken table in WCW NWO World Tour. I was trying to, like, joust her or something with it. So... She awkwardly misses. Then Bailey has a chair. So we have two chairs against one chair leading to Charlotte coming out. And what does she do? She's got something way more lethal than a chair. She's got her boot. And she runs down and kicks it out of Bailey's hands. In her heels. In her heels, yes. The baby face using the heel. And Sasha then misses with a chair. Becky attacks her with it. And this place goes nuts chanting for Becky. They really got into this. Yes, they did. Yes, Becky Lynch is very much a superstar. I would say saved this hour of programming. Uh, no, she didn't save it. Never mind. But uh, completely completely salvaged it from being a completely dead reaction for the whole thing. Um, the, you know, anytime the four horsewomen are together, it feels special. And I'm glad they're continuing this feud alive. Yeah, I think that it was, uh, you know, it was, it was hot at the pay-per-view. And I think uh, hot coming out of this as well. So... After that, we come back from break, and Sasha is in the locker room. She says she's the star of the division and challenges Becky to a rematch at Hell in a Cell. Unless you're man enough to accept your move. Unless you're man enough. Unless you're not man enough, you mean. That's what, that's what she should have said, but she said, oh. unless you're man enough to accept. Okay. All right. And then she added a bitch in there. Yes, I was building up to it, but way stole. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm That's sorry. okay. We got it out there. Yeah, they really need to cool it uh, with the usage of a bitch. It's not because I'm offended. Um, it's because they're overusing it. Well, maybe they need to come up with some more creative language. They like, need to step it up, really. Escalate, you know? Plenty of cuss words out there. Beta cuck? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's great. So Kane's limo is arriving, and R-Truth is on top of this limo. Let's not ask questions. Kane gets out, Truth surprises him, rolls him up to win the title, and then they have a reunion of sorts. They propose they just go and enjoy the show. It's like, oh, you've already missed the best part. Kane (laughs) says it's home sweet home, and he just blames the title win from earlier on Instinct. Yeah. And they've shown up at just the right time. 
Becky cuts a response to Sasha's challenge. She mentions her $10,000 fine, calls her a trapped rat, and she doesn't want to beat her at Hell in a Cell. She wants to destroy her in Hell in a Cell. So we've got our two cell matches, Seth Rollins and The Fiend, Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks. Did they confirm Rollins and The Fiend in the cell? You would expect it. They said it several times on the show inside Hell in a Cell. Ah, okay. Cool. Good. Great. Good promo from Becky, I thought. Yep. Lacey Evans versus Dana Brooke. We got some chops from Dana on the floor. Michael Cole was very impressed. Evans leaped over the top with a seated drop kick uh, to Dana through the rope. And then Evans hit the woman's right, used a handkerchief, and then applied the sharpshooter, yelling, Do you hear me, Natty? And she did a knee-down sharpshooter. Oh, yeah. Yeah. As yeah, yeah. So that feud is continuing. Sorry, are you finished with the recap? That was it. That was okay. the whole match. You won. Yeah. You know, this was 1030. Uh, the crowd was was gone. And clearly by the, the match that they put out here, Lacey Evans versus Dana Brooke, I don't think they expected to resuscitate this crowd anyway with this match. So I propose that they just like, they air videos at 1030 from now on. You know, like music videos or sure, like a much dance party, random uh, Euro trash videos from the year 1998, I think would be probably more well received than a match like this. And it's really unfortunate because I'm really glad Dana finally got an appearance on Raw. Uh, I hear she's improved. I'm sorry, but I was in no mood to assess the performance tonight. I was so out of the show by this point, Um, but I don't necessarily feel like this was this match was put put there to regain my attention anyway. They plugged NXT for Wednesday. They only mentioned the Velveteen Dream Roderick Strong match. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really adequate push for NXT, but not to me, not super effective. They were just like raw. It was just like Graves, Renee, and Cole talking briefly about it, and then Aaron commercials. Like I, I think this was a perfect time to get Triple H to come out there to talk about NXT, maybe bringing down some of the cast as well, some promos. Yeah. Like, yep. anyway. Yeah, I, I think this needed a harder sell. And and more so on Raw than SmackDown. And I'm not even expecting a big push on SmackDown either. It just feels... Like, the, well, uh, the debut is Wednesday. Yeah, I know. So, I I thought tonight... I was expecting a lot more for this week right. going into Wednesday. Uh, on SmackDown, they're going to have Shane McMahon addressing Kevin Owens' firing and Baron Corbin's coronation. And the main event, Seth Rollins, Robert Roode, non-title. Dolph Ziggler's out there in his corner. Rollins goes down on the floor. They go through a commercial break. Rollins stops Ziggler with a super kick, mounts a comeback. He goes for a springboard knee. That misses. Blocked the spine buster. Hit the falcon arrow. And then he buckle bombs Rude and goes for the stomp. But Ziggler runs in for the DQ. Ten minutes, four seconds. And this prompted the OC to come out. They beat down Rollins with a magic killer. Styles clash. It's five on one. And then Kane's music plays. He comes out, he takes out everyone, he chokeslams Gallows, double chokeslam to Anderson and Styles. The place is heated, it's like 10.56, and I think everyone realizes what they're going to do here, and it made perfect sense. He goes to set off the pyro, but instead, the lights dim, and you hear the Fiend's uh, theme start to go. The place goes dark, and... He shows up from behind Kane. It was a very good visual. He applies the mandible claw and the closing moment. He crawls towards Seth Rollins and Seth has to pretend like it's 
the fucking demagogue that is approaching him. It was a little awkward to watch Seth have to react to this, but I thought the fiend portion was really strong here at the end and adding a new, uh, uh, adding a new kill to his list of casualties and Kane. Yeah. I really like the Kane interaction here. It was uh, unexpected. And I, and I think something that, uh, the people live probably really loved seeing their mayor. Could you imagine seeing like our mayor, What's even our mayor's name? John Tory. Yes. Imagine seeing John Tory all of a sudden like put a mask on and choke slam choke slamming dudes at a WWE live event. That would be something. So I'm sure the people live really loved this. Uh, I think people at home loved it too. Made perfect sense for the fiend to add another notch on his list by killing this legend as well. Really cool. And I think Seth. You know, the only thing I, I feel like I was missing was like some type of culmination here at the end because they, you know. Uh, what is it? Uh, Bray Wyatt led you led you to believe that he was going to attack Seth, and we really just kind of saw their attempt at a cliffhanger by seeing you know Seth cower uh, at at Bray's kind of stare, and then nothing after that. Well, I think it's kind of done. Like he had just taken the Magic Killer and the Styles Clash, so he's reeling from that. So you could argue the guy was kind of selling because had he not been attacked and he's just cowering. I think I would have been way more negative on this, but he did look very goofy in this kind of like having to be all creeped out by the fiend. But why didn't the fiend pick him up and stick his fingers down his throat? Um, like he would. He I mean, promised. you just got that the night before. I didn't think you needed to necessarily be physical here. We did get the physical angle just the night before, so I, I didn't mind that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, you did kind of leave Seth hanging there. Yeah, okay. So I can see that. Then we got a minute left. And we go to the Firefly Funhouse graphic package, but it's going upside down, it's skipping, it's flickering, the music is going up and down. It was like this really creepy vibe, and I dug it. I thought this was like a cool end. Like, The Fiend has like taken over this show, and it just ends on this really bizarre graphic package with the music. And I, I kind of liked it. It was like a different end and really hit home like The Fiend being all over the show. This, like, graphic lasted so long that I think it, 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 it might have, like, attempted to put the entire Raw audience into, like, a collective, like, surreal trance. And I loved it. I, I thought it was something that was very different for a Raw. That, you know, a Raw <laughs> on a show where we see them, they tried a lot of things on this show. Um, and a lot of it felt really cliche. But this felt... Totally original and totally different. So it ended strong, but God, I cannot forgive them for some of this other shit that we sat through. Um, oh, that Maria Canellis, Mike Canellis angle continues to drop the bar so much, so much more. And uh, for me, ruined like the second half of this show. Well, Let's go into some feedback, because I'm curious to see what everyone had to say about this show. On a scale of 1 to 10, Way is probably going for a 3. You voted a 6.67. You might have a better chance of forgetting things from your recent memory than I do, I guess. 
Jay from Colorado writes, Can either of you help me to understand why at the beginning of this tournament the thought of Baron Corbin winning the King of the Rings seemed dreadful, but tonight it seemed exciting and different? Whatever it was about this tournament, it completely reinvigorated Corbin. This was a really quick turnaround for his career. He went from nuclear-level heat from the crowd to people chanting him and cheering his victory in five weeks. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. The match was his best yet, and that end of days was sick. We got a Sam from Oswego who says, Hey guys, thanks again for taking my call last night. Raw was interesting tonight. From the from my favorite match being the King of the Ring final and least favorite being the six-man tag, it seriously gets to a point where they keep putting the same stuff up the same stuff on TV, and it's really bothering me. Ray had a good match, and man, I wish that Gable won. The ending of the match was beautiful, and with Gable fighting from underneath, it made me feel as though good things could be coming for him in the future. <laughs> remember those words. However, the overarching story of Kane coming to the arena to be put up by Bray really made me smile because that is the way to put the man over. He is the new demon, after all. Brandon from Oshawa, I can't believe that anyone actually thought there was a choice other than Baron Corbin for King of the Ring. WWE hasn't used this tournament as a serious tool to build someone in years, and that meant Corbin was perfect for this role. Are we supposed to believe that The Fiend caused everything to go upside down at the beginning? What is the point of that? I guess Ricochet is just one of the geeks now. I thought Michael Cole was hilarious in Rico's match. Uh, he goes on to say that the ending really made me miss the days of big stables. I don't want Rudin Ziggler in the OC, but Balor and one or two more guys would be awesome. Adam from the street says this Raw had a little bit of everything. And like an episode of Nitro in 2000, it wasn't boring. How long is it until we get Casey Catanzaro's reaction video to Ricochet being Maria's baby daddy? Well, that was already settled on this show. Paul from New Jersey. Hell of a King of the Ring final. Why no coronation? Or Coronation, well, they're doing it tomorrow. The gender reveal segment start all the way to the Rusev was an embarrassment. Keep Ricochet away from all of that. I feel bad for Mike. Rusev, the dad then? What a clusterfuck. I enjoyed Kane, even though the comedy was pretty bad. Big Dana Brooke fan. She looks crisp, even though the match had no heat. Crowd kind of sucked, but a fantastic ending. Hey, there is no shame I am placing on this crowd. Noah from Vaughn. Hey guys, hope all is well. Aside from the Bray Wyatt segments and AOP promo, I thought the show was pretty bad. Like having both new tag team champions get beaten up by a guy that lost a match to a smaller opponent last night. Just so dumb. The gender reveal stuff is up there for worst segment of the year for me. The only saving grace of that was the commentary right afterwards, which was hilarious. However, October 2nd can't come soon enough. Thoughts on Brandon Cutler versus MJF being added to the premiere episode? Uh, yeah, we talked about it. I, I don't have any deep thoughts on it. It's a, it's a match they've built to. It's... You know? I think it's just MJF getting a, a strong win or a win, some type of debut over Brandon Cutler. I don't necessarily see um, Brandon Cutler being a featured performer at all. And, and I hope they do like a little recap of their feud and it'll get MJF's character over instantly on that first episode. We'll see. We'll see how much they recognize like stuff that's been taking place on being the lead because it's it's so, you know, tonally comedic. Um, and that to me remains one of the most interesting things about the, the premiere on, on, uh, TNT. What, what sort of style of, of TV will it be? All right. Uh, MJ here writes, uh, okay. A lot of this is just a recap. Uh, Firefly Funhouse is great. I cannot believe the 180 Bray has pulled off for his career. The stuff with Glenn Jacobs was fun. AOP cut a killer promo, which makes me wonder why we have to live in a world where Nakamura and Asuka were forced to speak English. That's all we've got for now. 6.5 out of 10. Brandon from New Jersey. What's good, my guys? That was an interesting Raw. 
I love that a character like the Fiend could have control of production in the lights. I love how they're treating this character like a supernatural threat. Hope they continue this push with him without him losing to Seth in the cell. How do you propose working around that without hurting either guy? Didn't like the cuck angle. Love the return of Rusev with the Magnum P.I. Mr. Baseball Mustache. See way I can send a normal email. I still... Still steam coming out of his ears, probably. I'm out of here. Love you guys. Well, thank you, Brandon, for being normal. Um, it, it's I, I think it's one of the more intriguing parts of how they booked that match. Um, as I said, I don't think either guy should be losing right now. Um, which I, makes uh, for I, a certain I, intrigue to it as well. I mean, I think Seth could lose. You could... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think The Fiend really needs the title. I think that you're going a little too far with it, that it's it's so over right now without the title. I don't think it really needs that. But Or maybe some type of non-finish. Well, that's what I'm thinking. And maybe that's when Balor shows up. Or, yeah, I mean, it could be one of, one of many options. Uh, let's go on down to Andy from Columbus. I watched the show on my iPad. Only raising the volume when Monday Night Football was on. Go Browns. What's up with so many returns all of a sudden? Eric in Miami. Three things that stood up for me. One, at the end of the first quarter of the football game, there was a reset from Cole telling us we were watching the King of the Ring final. Okay, that makes sense. So I guess they they parked it with the end of the first quarter. Two, did they... They did something very smart with The Fiend. Bray teased that a new photo was going on the wall. I thought he was attacking Ray, but after the Ray match, he just put up a photo of Seth. Yeah, okay. Uh, Three, I really liked AOP doing the Salamanca twins from Breaking Bad. Okay, and Cash writes, I was ready to shit on this episode after confusing myself that Ricochet was being paired with the dorks, but it was one of the best Raws in months. Cameos, returns, great wrestling. Alexa and Nikki are great and extremely entertaining. Sasha and Bailey are doing fine. The 24-7 segments leading to a Kane return was great. King of the Ring final and closing segment were both among best segments this year. 8 out of 10 show. One of the best Raws in years, way. All right. There you go. All right. Um, before we get on out of here, I do want to talk a bit about the, uh, the destruction in a Kagoshima card. And what did you think about Kota Bushi being the father? I really didn't see it coming. What what did you get to see from the show today? Uh, the last two matches. Okay. Yeah, so you saw the exact same as me. So um, the undercard results saw uh, Yuya Uemura get the first two points uh, in the Young Line Cup, defeating Clark Connors. Ren Narita defeated Kramer. Manabu Nakanishi, Toa Hanare, Carl Fredericks, and Alex Coughlin defeated Yuji Nagata, Ryusuke Taguchi, Shota Umino, and Yota Suji. Tomohiro Ishii, Yoshihashi, and Rapongi 3K defeated the Gorillas, Fale, and Chase Owens. Tanahashi, Makabe, Liger, and Honma defeated Suzuki, Zack Sabre Jr., Doki, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, and definitely tracked down that Minoru Suzuki promo. It's fantastic. Uh, and I'm, I'm more convinced now that that is going to be Wrestle Kingdom. I think it's, it's almost too big now. I think that they, if they wanted to, I think they could hold it off until Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it, it seems like it's a long way to stretch, but... Maybe. Okada, Goto, and Rocky Romero defeated Sonata, Shingo Takagi, and Bushi. Naito and Evil defeated Jay White and Yujiro. And then the final two matches. Uh, up first, we've got 
Taiji Ishimori and El Fantasmo defending the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Titles against Will Ospreay and Robbie Eagles. They went 23 minutes and 10 seconds. Ospreay and Eagles are already maybe my favorite babyface tag team going today. They were so awesome. This was like, man, we, we talked about like the tag matches at Clash of Champions. And then I watched this, and this just blew me away. I love this match. This was one of my favorite tag matches this year. And I just, uh, I, I loved it from start to finish. There was some great double team offense from Osprey and Eagles. They were uh, tons of like stereo dives to the floor. Um, they've developed their finish, which is the Spanish fly together off the top that they're calling the Red Wing as a tribute to Amazing Red. And then you had Eagles working on the knee of El Fantasmo, including using the Ron Miller special and doing a 450 onto the knee. Um, so Ishimori came in. There was a belt shot setting up a near fall from Ishimori. And then a flying knee and spinning neck breaker. Will makes the save. The place is roaring during this final stretch. The os cutter gets caught. And there's an assisted bloody cross. And then a CR2 delivered to Robbie Eagles. And Fantasmo uh, and Ishimori defend the titles in 23-10. This was awesome. I, I thought this was so great. This was, to me, the better match of the two matches that I ended up seeing. Agreed. Um, the, the, the Birds of Prey, I think, are... Everything about them is clicking from the way that they form to just their, their double, double team maneuvers. I mean, really, everything Will Ospreay has been doing this year has been amazing. And the fact that he's now, towards the end of the year, be you know able to form like what is quickly becoming one of the hotter tag teams in wrestling uh, at this stage is incredibly impressive. Like to me, just watching these two, you definitely get like, you know, vibe that these two are a very established tag team that might've worked together in the past, but maybe, maybe they haven't. And this is only because they're both great wrestlers, but you know, you get like real, like young bucks types of vibes with them, with the, the amount of coordinated double team maneuvers that the two have. Um, I, I would really like to see these two go further, you know, as a team, I know Will Ospreay is probably quite busy doing a whole lot of other things, but I want to see Osprey. Like Osprey is amazing because you can put him in the junior division. You can put him in the tag division now. You can put him in the heavyweight division or the never division. Like he, he is incredibly valuable to this company in a variety of ways. And it's unfortunate that, you know, you can't clone the guy because he seems to be valuable to everybody. This guy has done the best of the super juniors, the G1, the super J cup. And I'm pretty sure him and Eagles are going to do the, the best of the, the, the super junior tag league yeah um yeah, for sure yeah i think they it's, i think uh, they should do tag league proper but they could do there might be, man that might be a point if he does both those tournaments that's gonna be just crazy with yeah. the the super junior tag league and then the world tag league at the end of the year that's crazy but i mean that's kind of his thing this year it's like he's done all the big tournaments and it's nuts um so i i think this guy's gonna have a phenomenal finish to what's been an unbelievable year i I'm going to be really shocked if this guy doesn't get wrestler of the year because I think this guy's clenched. He's it. already got it. Yeah. Main event was Kota Bushi versus Kenta. And uh, you, first first impression of blonde Kenta. What would you think? Will? I love it. He looks cool, man. Like it's a it's it, it really works with the heel vibe. It, it, fresh coat of paint um, makes him seem a bit more like a dick. He immediately nails Abushi before the bell rings, and he attacks Abushi with the briefcase, and he can't be DQ'd because the match hasn't started. And then he stomps the briefcase and breaks it. Ab breaks it, yeah. He, but he preserves the contract inside. Mm. 
So the bell rings and he immediately hits Abushi with a Busaiku knee for a two count. And it's all Kenta. He's doing the great heel antics. The crowd is pretty anti Kenta here. They were pretty loud here. Abushi finally rises up in the corner to fight back and they get really excited. Uh, Abushi's selling and his facial reactions to all of this were mm. really, really solid. Excellent. And we should mention he was also in his hometown. So you yes. had that dynamic attached to it as well. Kenta got a chair. And Kevin Kelly called it asinine for him to use a chair and risk disqualifying himself and not being able to win the contract. Kenta says, fuck it. He nails Abushi in the knee because you know what? Red Shoes is the referee. You think this guy gives a shit? Of course not. So kind of made Kevin Kelly look um, <laughs> like he was just uh, screaming and no one was listening. It tells me they've, they've still yet to like, you know, inform the announcers or maybe even just New Japan themselves. They've really kind of seemed to yet to come to like a conclusive rule book about when weapons are allowed and when weapons aren't. Because I, feel- I, I thought it was an inconsistency to the match. I didn't think you needed this spot, especially because we established they went to such great lengths of using the briefcase before the bell rang and you established that structure and then you just blatantly disregard it. You don't even knock down red shoes. You do it right in front of him. So I, I thought that was a, like a negative on the match. Well, the fact like, that it was not necessary. Has red shoes ever DQ'd somebody for using a weapon outside of the ring? Because at some point, I, I think I figured that if uh, a legal tactic occurs outside of the, of the ring, it doesn't count. Mm. It's like why? Still Great question. I don't know. Well, for heat, I mean, for heel heat is is the excuse. But the fact that like Kevin Kelly, you know, might not be aware of something like that suggests that either that's not actually a thing, or that they haven't really kind of talked about what the rules actually are. Uh, he attacked Abushi's knee with the chair, dropped it onto the announcer's desk. And then continues attacking it along with the, the damaged ankle of Ibushi. Uh, he hit the Shibata drop kick in the corner. There's a figure four applied. He escapes and he comes back with a big lariat. There's a Bomaye, but Kenta holds down red shoes during the setup for this. Uh, so he doesn't get hit with it. G.O.D. runs in. They get stopped by Ibushi. He hits the Bomaye, but this time red shoes is pulled down to the floor. Mm-hmm. Still okay. Everything's all right. He attacks Ibushi with a magic killer. And then the super power bomb gets stopped when Tomohiro Ishii and Yoshihashi run in and they're fought off. PK, Kamagoye, Kenta kicks out of the Kamagoye, becoming the second person along with Lance Archer to kick out of the move. And everyone reacted to it. Big did, they, because did they not give it to like Okada or uh, who, who did he face in the... I don't think he ever hit it in the... Didn't he, he, didn't well, he, give... he beat Okada. Right. And didn't Okada get the kick out of it before? Mm, I because I, I remember, be- remember, I remember we talked about how the effect of whoever it was that that he Ibushi beat um, in the A Block final that was lessened because Lance Archer had already kicked out of it before. Okay, well, maybe I stand corrected if they did it in the the G One final match, um, but it's a very very protected move nonetheless. So he kicks out of it, and uh, this he then calls for the GTS. It's blocked. He hits a flying knee to Kenta and then a second Kamagoye. Oh, sorry, that's where we get the near fall. And then he roars up and then hits the Kamagoye. I screwed this up because Kenta hit a Kamagoye first and Abushi kicked out of that. So we each yeah. got Kamagoyes from both. And it's the two from Abushi that keep Kenta down. 26 minutes, 23 seconds. 
And then afterwards, Evil came out, which was Ibushi's other loss in the G1 and presumably sets up King of Pro Wrestling with the contract on the line next month again. I was really interested to see this match to see like where Kenta was, you know, after, you know, seeing the 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 Ishii match and, and the whole thing that, that came out of that. I was curious to see how much he would do. And he did quite a bit, although I would say like this was perhaps not the style of match that, you know, w- was filled with. It was not as intense in the, as the Ishii match, and I, I'm. It's hard for me to think back if it was even as as intense as maybe the first Kota Ibushi Kenta match in the G1. Um, I felt like he was relying a lot more on, you know, heel posturing, kind of like you know, I don't want to call it stalling because that kind of gives it a negative connotation, but like stalling in the best way, in that like you know he was able to maximize I think a lot of movements and things that he was doing without taking a great deal of punishment. I thought Kota Ibushi selling was tremendous. And, you know, as far as physicality, they certainly, you know, uh, reach reach those high levels towards the end. I, I, I thought it was a very satisfying match. Not as good as the tag team match, but still very good as a main event. No, I, I enjoyed the main event. Um, may, maybe as much as the Dallas match, but definitely the tag match was, to me, easily. Um, that, that was the best match I saw all weekend. Um, Both matches very good, though. Yeah, good, good end to this show. I thought um, stronger final two matches than uh, Beppu had on... On Sunday, so uh, they have several small shows this week, and then the big one is Sunday in Kobe. Which I mean, big maybe is a bit of an overstatement. We got Tetsuya Naito against Jay White in the IC title match, Hiroki Goto against Shingo Takagi. I think that match is going to be out of this world. That should be really great. And then we've got um, tags underneath with uh, the final Young Lion Cup matches as well. So that's coming up on Sunday, and we'll have a review of that show on the uh, Post Wrestling Cafe. Yes, that'll be up Sunday night, so we hope some of you uh, tune in to check that out. But that's going to wrap up Rewind to Raw, so thanks to everybody for tuning in. We're going to be back Tuesday night following SmackDown in Atlanta, and uh, lots to come. So check it out, postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com, and we'll be back in 24 hours.